Welcome back, everybody. Hello. Welcome back to your home on the RNG. I'm sorry, the my hair got caught in the what little hair I have. I was gonna say got caught in the microphone. I'm the only one at this table with a full not in the microphone. Head of hair. The, you are, you do have a full luxurious head of hair. It's very nice hair. One day I'm gonna scalp you and then just have I mean, it. You've been dreaming of it sewed onto my head. But we're not here to talk about Russ's scalping fantasies. We are here to talk about a different fantasy, a saga. <laughs> The seventh saga. The seventh saga. And uh, whenever I hear a seventh saga, you can edit this out if you want. But <laughs> I, but in my head, I go seventh saga. When I see their smiling faces, <laughs> smiling back at me, seventh saga. Welcome There's to the no memorial. greater feeling than the love of a family. <laughs> And you can edit that out if you want to. Right to the end of the show with the bloopers. So let's go ahead and start with personal history. Yay. So this one's a little bit different. I know in the last episode I said you should just put a disclaimer at the bottom of every show description that Russ played this as a child and played it again. But I didn't play this as a child. I didn't play this until well into my 20s um and i was just kind of going through old super nintendo and nintendo games that i never played this was one of them so i didn't discover this until uh probably the 2000s at some point and i have no personal history with it beyond that other than this is a thing i played many years after it came out crit so i played this the weekend that it came out my local place where I had um, probably spent about $200 renting Final Fantasy VI by this point in 1995. I came in, and the lady that worked there was like, oh, my God, we actually got in two new Super Nintendo RPGs. You're going to like these. And then uh, she pointed out the Seventh Saga and Paladin's Quest, which had, they had just acquired them that weekend. And I think, um, I think Seventh Saga had just come out. So I rented Seventh Saga and played it, and then I really, really loved it. And then uh, I hit a wall and then didn't beat the game until sometime in my 20s, uh, after which I've actually beaten it twice. And I, it's still one of my favorites. But yeah, very difficult game, but uh, I, I have a very special place in my heart for it. So I don't have personal history. Uh, this was the first time I played it. It was developed by a company called Produce, which I've With an exclamation heard. point. Yes. Produce! <laughs> and published by Enix for the Super Nintendo in 1993. I am going to... Oh, was it 93? Well, that's the Japanese release date. Oh, Elnard then, yeah. So I'm going to hijack this section just a little bit, because what I do when I'm playing a game for the first time now for Home on the RNG is I jump on the JRPG subreddit, and I ask for uh, opinions, tricks, tips, memories, whatever people have. And I learned a lot about this game before (laughs) I ever touched it. When this game was translated for the West, let's start out with this, actually. You pick your character in this game from a field of heroes. The heroes that you don't pick still exist in the world. Mm -hmm. Some of them you will befriend. Some of them you will have to fight. They are the only enemies in the game that scale to your level. Mm-hmm. which is a very interesting mechanic. Uh, it makes a lot of sense, and it's something new and different. I like that concept. So when the game came to America, they decided, for whatever reason, to make the game more difficult. And they did that by roughly having, halving, cutting Halving. In half, cutting in half the stat gains you gain per level. So... I have something to say about that, but we'll put an asterisk in it for now. Sure. And I say roughly in half, just they significantly reduce them. The problem is the other heroes that scale to your level, their stat gains weren't cut. Meaning the higher your level, the more outclassed you are by the other heroes. Mm -hmm. It is a game where grinding gets you in trouble. And the higher your level, the harder they are to beat. You can actually grind yourself into a no-win situation. So the general advice for the game is get through the first half of the game as low level as you can, then grind like hell because all the other heroes are gone. Somebody reached out to me because I mentioned Russ had picked this game to punish me for something. (laughs) And they said, actually, there's a patch. And you put this patch in and it restores the stat gains back to the original Japanese version. So I was like, well, yeah, I'll do that. Yeah. 
let me play this game the way it was originally intended to be played, not the way it was changed by the West. So you don't want to fight 50,000 birds and barely survive. <laughs> the reason like I am putting the first all of hour this, of this game. in personal history is because I, I think it should be clear when I talk about my experience with this game. I experienced it differently than most people who played it growing up or grabbed the SNES version and played it because I played this rebalanced version. So I just wanted to get that out there kind of as a disclaimer. I've just enjoyed the free flow uh, that we have had in this review so far. (laughs) So congratulations. What was your asterisk that you'd like to talk about? Well, first I need to correct myself. Uh, I think this was during my Final Fantasy II playing a lot, or four. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, 1993 is when it came out in the U.S., so I think this was prior That's to... the one that I also spent probably $200 renting from my local video store yeah. until the lady renting me the game said, you really just need to buy this <laughs> at this point. Yeah, so, so looking at it, yeah, it looks like, yeah, this came out in around the same time in, a, in the U.S. in 1993 that Paladin's Quest did. So I know that they both came in at the same time, but, yeah, this was before FF6 and after FF4. So, anyways... That, that's one. The other asterisk is that I actually have a friend who had looked into like a theory that it wasn't intentional that they actually nerfed the, uh, the main character, that there's actually this line of code that, would, that could have been messed with during the localization process that like just changing one value of it like, would cause the exact problem to happen. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. So, I unfortunately cannot speak to... Super Nintendo development code. I'm not that hardcore, but I, I will say somebody has told me with a lot of confidence that this appears to be an accident. Okay. <laughs> so we can't say for certain. The commonly because, held wisdom is it was decided to be made harder, but that could be inaccurate. Well, I mean, and the other thing is that, like, if, you know, weaving into, like, your strategy of, like, getting through that first half of the game as uh, fast as possible, it's actually... You can grind yourself to a very high level and then grab a companion, they will be scaled correctly too. So apart Mm -hmm. from one fight where you have to one-on-one one of the other characters... See, that's the big fight that everybody online was warning me about. Like, if you end up fighting... a Valsu. Yeah. (laughs) If you end up fighting Valsu, you cannot win. If he's past this level, he's unbeatable. But here's the strategy for how to have both of your characters in that battle, because the game only wants you to have one... But if you let if your you, main character die before you get into that battle, him, you yeah. can then revive him and have both. Uh, yeah, I've done that before. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, let's imagine act. a world <laughs> where you accidentally mess up the code of a game and then you just have to release it and there's nothing you can and do about it because you can't patch it. And what if that had happened with Cyberpunk 2077? <laughs> like the version that came what out if, is the only yeah, version Yeah, like this version be. came out, we messed this up, and... Now we just have to live with it forever. It's just a cartridge. Yeah. <laughs> people are going to be paying top dollar for no matter what, because people the, are dumb. The wangs will be exposed <laughs> forever in Cyberpunk 2077. Forever. Forever wangs. Let's go ahead and start this game review proper in story and characters. Again, I've been enjoying the free flow. <laughs> Seven heroes have trained for the past five years so that they are strong enough to gather the sacred runes. Whoever gathers all the sacred runes will rule the world. Which seems like a really weird goal for heroes? It's a very small world. It's not Earth. It's Ticondera. Yeah. Did I say Earth? No. Well, you said world. But I was like, maybe it's not so much of a big deal to rule the entire world when it's Ticondera, which has like ten towns in it. (laughs) If we were all, if we were living on Pluto... I think ruling the entire world would be a different situation. It is just very strange to be playing a JRPG and you pick your hero out of the seven and go forth and gather the runes so that you can rule the world. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, just really laying it out there. Of course, there's a plot twist later, but yes. Yeah. <laughs> so who did you pick for your? I played hero? the robot because okay. Luxtizer. I called him Steve. Steve is a good name too. <laughs> Uh, he is one of 41 robots that exist in the world. Yep. Uh, which I think is just interesting mechanic. But there's also an alien and a demon. Wilmy, mm-hmm. Lejess. 
uh, a barbarian. Eh, Olven? Olven, dwarf. He's just a dwarf. Yeah, oh, he's, he's not a barbarian. A dwarf. I thought there was an actual human barbarian. I've lost track of the set. Wilmy like... looks like a barbarian, but he is an alien. He's orange with spikes. Yeah, he has spikes arms. on his shoulders. Yeah. And Camille, the hero, the yeah. human knight hero, who's normal. And then the girl. Asuna. Yeah. Who, I of course, Asuna. I picked. The I love girl. Asuna. Uh, and then there's the And having cleric. to struggle with your ice one spell uh, <laughs> for the majority of the game. Valsu has one thing. <laughs> so, oh yeah, Valsu the cleric. It is very interesting to to have the game. I know we already talked about it, but you pick your hero, and then the rest of those heroes still exist and will mm-hmm. compete with you or work with you. They're, they some of them could betray you. They could join you mm-hmm. and then turn on you. One of them hires an assassin to destroy you. I, by the way, I love the assassin. Pison. Yeah. I I love when a JRPG has a recurring boss character because I I it's not very common. Usually you beat a boss, you move on, you beat a boss, you move on. But he comes you you beat him and then he comes back like Mecha Pison. Yeah. He, he comes keeps... back as Red Pison and he literally it's because he came back from hell yes. to finish the job. <laughs> craw- I thought that was the third version is he crawled out of hell. But I guess uh, that's the second. It's, okay, yeah, the second one is he crawls second, his way out of and hell, then... and the third one he gets mechaized. I, I guess. suppose, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I loved him. I in my head canon, he's kind of a goober. Yeah, he's kind of a Gilgamesh in my head. I nice. love the third time you meet him near the very end of the game. You're going through a dungeon, and there's a gravestone. And you look at it, and the game goes, and your name is on it. And there's like a musical sting, like your character's going, oh my god. And then a few steps later, there is Pissero again. And he's... Pissero? Whatever. Python. Python. Python Python in the original Japanese. Python the Manslayer. Uh, Yeah, Python the Manslayer. The Manslayer. And and that's when you fight him. I just, I love the reveal of your grave, which I think feeds into your goofiness. He's like, I'm really going to get him. I'm going to dig his grave. Yeah, I think it's, I think he's a goob. (laughs) Going to commission a tombstone (laughs) with his or her name on it. Another, another boss that I really liked, the very first boss in the game, I think is very interesting. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. it's, there's a castle inhabited by monsters and at it, at the throne is a demon. And if you lose to the demon, you will go back to, you will start back in town. This is one of those games where losing isn't necessarily game over. You can lose and then continue playing. At the expense of half your gold. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, But if he kills you, there is then somebody in town who will give you a whistle that you can use in combat to make him easier to defeat. And why is that? Because the story of the demon is this. There was a little boy and his dog. And the little boy had one of the runes. And the king of this castle wanted the rune. So he killed the boy and he killed the dog. And the dog's spirit came back for revenge and killed everything in that castle. And the demon is actually the dog's tormented spirit, which is why the whistle works against him. Which when you see the demon, it's just this huge muscular chad of a demon. It's like (laughs) not dog-like at all. No, you don't find out that it was a dog until after you beat it. You talk to townspeople and they tell you the story. And I'm just like... They don't even tell you the story if you beat him legit because I've done it before. They only tell you when they're going to give you the whistle. I No, because I didn't get the whistle. Because oh, I didn't really? lose to it because I was playing that patch version, so it was easier. Oh, I see. I didn't even come close to losing to him, but I still got the story. I must not have just talked to that guy then, because I didn't even know there was a whistle. But I love the fact <laughs> that the first boss of the game has a legit backstory. Mm-hmm. That's that's pretty... Cause usually it's just like, fight the thunder snail. Or whatever. <laughs> this one actually Don't has... Don't aim in a... its shell. Yeah. So <laughs> and I just... you, if you're playing Brave New World Final Fantasy VI, you really don't want to aim at the shell. <laughs> Good to know. You really don't want to aim at the shell. Also, I forgot to mention, that, so this game is about 30 hours long. To 74? To, just yeah. 30. Roughly 30. Yeah. Depends on which character you picked and how much grinding you have to do. The different characters do have different, slightly different paths, which I think is very interesting. Russ, did you want to talk about any of the characters? Tell so I played, you know, Steve, yeah. the mm-hmm. one in 41 robots, right. and part of his quest was to figure out where did we come from? His, I think his path is a little easier, but the trade-off is that you have to hear clang, clang, clang when you're walking Every through step, any, yeah. yes. any unenemied territory. Oh, I should have picked him. I like the ASMR walking. 
He has yeah. super high defense and strong attack, especially in the beginning beginning of the game. I didn't. I picked him because it was a robot. Like it was either <laughs> going to be him or the alien. Mm-hmm. I did not realize I was picking easy mode on the already patched version. Uh, and in the unpatched version, it's also easy mode towards the end because there's a glitch where you can get permanent stat increases, but you're supposed to only get one, but you can actually just keep spamming it. Oh, I didn't mm-hmm. even know that. You can put your stats into the stratosphere and then one-shot the boss if you really want to. I knew about that because of speedruns. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a tune-up glitch percent and a non-tune-up glitch percent. I've only yeah. used it once because the first time I beat the game was with Lejess, so it, I didn't have the robot, but then I tried it with the... Yeah. So tell me about your guys' characters. I'll let him go first because I'm going to talk forever. Yeah, I played the girl. I played Asuna, the girl elf mage. Asuna is, busy. Yeah, Asuna busy. She is quite busy. Yeah. Um, and she just wants to go for an adventure. I mean. I love her. She's kind of Tasselhoff Burfoot of Dragonlance. She's just out for, out for adventure. Girls just want to have fun. She does just want to have fun. Absolutely. Yes. And my main companion through the game was Legis, the demon. Nice. My yeah. first time beating that mm-hmm. game, I was Legis and I had Asuna as the Okay. Partner. Yeah. So I did exactly the opposite. I made sure to have Valsu as my companion because... I had heard that he is basically impossible to beat. He becomes that, yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's a struggle getting there, but then you can get there, and yeah, he's he's got the recovery spell, which is insane. Uh, so. And the ones that you and I picked are the only ones that can't be the traitor. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, because you, you find out who has hired Pison to take you out, and they take over this castle because they turn evil, and then... After that point, I think you cannot recruit them ever mm-hmm. in the game. So you have to kind of, uh, if you want uh, that, per- if you want a certain person later in the game, you got to keep resetting it until, or you know, going back to a certain point before it becomes somebody else. Uh, I always try to make sure it's Valsu because I actually don't use Valsu. <laughs> but I have played a significant amount of this game with every single character. Um, ultimately, I've beaten it with Lajess and Asuna and Lux with actually Valsu, I think. Um, yeah, no, I love all the characters. I love all their motivations, uh, their character art, which looks interesting in the instruction book because it's a, a lot different. Like, Lejess mm-hmm. actually looks like a demon and not just a dude with, like, party horns on his head. Right. <laughs> <laughs> he's kind of cute in his he's, little sprite He's, he's form. cute. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, different combinations mean different play styles. So, like, Lejess and Asuna is all about buffing and, like, healing a lot and, mm-hmm. uh, you know... Uh, kind of relying on them taking turns casting like attack magic, which he has every attack spell in the game except for Lux's, and she doesn't. But she has healing, and she's better. Mm-hmm. Whereas like a physical game is going to have you like relying on items and like kind of trading off like defense and attack and stuff because you defend first and then attack to get the best results. And um, yeah, I just I love every character; they're all great. So let's go ahead and talk about the combat system. Yes. Dun, dun, dun. The game uses the Mode 7 graphics to transform when you're walking around in the overworld to the combat screen. And I just, it's a really neat effect. I like that. Uh, You know, because all kinds of games have different transitions from world to battle. But this one, it works really well. Yeah, it's one of the few pre-Chrono Trigger type of RPGs to like actually use the the place where you are standing right now. Mm-hmm. That's the field of battle yes. for yeah. you in a turn-based RPG. There's actually a benefit to using Defend in this game, which is unusual because normally Defend <laughs> is just... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Normally, the only time Defense has a real use is if it protects you from super, super powerful mm-hmm. attacks that are telegraphed. Like Persona. One other... One other weird one is the original NES Dragon Quest Three. You can choose, you know, attacks for all your four characters. For the first three, you can choose to defend, and when you get to the fourth character, just back all the way back to the first character. They'll be defending as well mm-hmm. as attacking for the first three characters. Interesting. So you actually want to put your strongest character at the end of your party because they'll, they're the only ones who wouldn't be able to defend as mm-hmm. well as attack. But that's a glitch. And anyway, so in this game, defending 
raises both your attack and your defense temporarily. So one of the strategies I saw online is that your play style should be defend, attack, defend, yes. attack, defend, mm-hmm. attack for maximum damage even, and maximum defense. I think even NPCs in town will tell you that. <laughs> yeah. Someone tells you at some point yeah. in the game because I wouldn't have known otherwise. Now here's one thing I noticed, <laughs> and once I noticed it, I was pissed off because there's nothing you can do about it. There's not a way to manipulate this or use it to your advantage. It's not actually something you can strategize with. The enemy will always attack whichever member of your two-person party last took an action. Which is a problem when you've got... Because in my party, I had the robot, who is just built to take abuse. And then I had the healer, who was squishy. (laughs) But if the healer gets to do anything right before an enemy's turn, it's the healer who's taking the enemy's attacks. So the enemy can take the turn, but they would take it after your first character did a thing. So it's very back and forth. So it's like if your first character does a move, and then it's the enemy's turn before your second character, then they will attack you. But then... Yeah, that's what I mean. Is mm-hmm. Whoever hasn't attacked at that point, you know that they're all going to attack that second character. Yeah, even <laughs> looking at... Um, when you're looking at the game, it's almost like you can see your party slide back and forth mm-hmm. over, mm-hmm. okay, which one's doing the action? And whoever's in the action slot, that's who's getting hit. But since there's not a way to manipulate turn order, at least not that I know of, like there's, first of all, there's not a visible turn order, so you don't know when the enemies are going for sure. The only way you know is when your first character does a move, whoever doesn't attack, or whoever attacks at that point isn't going to attack the other character. Okay. <laughs> that That's the way you know. <laughs> I just, there was nothing I could do about it, though. Like, it sucks that it, there's a built-in system for this is who's getting hit. And you can't manipulate it at all. There's no randomness to it and no control of it. I like it because um, it lets you know, as because you always have control over what the final move is going to be. And when you know, because somebody, like, let's say there's three birds and Lux punches a bird and then one bird attacks Lux. Well, then, you know, two birds are going to attack Asuna if that's your other character. So then now that it's Asuna's turn, you can choose to further defend but if all three birds attack Lux before Asuna's turn, then you know no birds are going to attack Asuna. Then you get them with the, with the blizzard. That is way too much thinking for me. Like, I, no, I get what you're saying now, and it makes sense to me now. Yeah. But I like how God. much you've scrutinized that. Because oh, I, I love doing that for games. This is just not one of them that I've yeah. done it for. I feel like I'd have to be <laughs> filling out a sheet for each <laughs> battle of just, all right, this it, is how it's going to work. When you beat the game in its original intended difficulty, <laughs> on the or unintended, whatever, but it's if you beat the American game, you are going to be thinking about this stuff like it's a second language. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> you you got to get good. This is one of those get good kind of video games. Just get good. I will yeah. also, uh, you gain your spells based on leveling up. Yes. Which mm-hmm. is a very simple Static. mechanic, and I have no problem with it. And like again, when, if you're a Suna, you have Ice 1 for a real long time, and then eventually you get spell, Ice yeah. 3. <laughs> the robot has all of the lightning attacks, which is just, you know, makes sense. He's got it's, laser and lightning. He's laser. got laser 1 through 3, and then thunder. Yes. Mm-hmm. Thunder 1, even though there's no thunder 2, I don't think. Or is there? No, I don't think there is. He, yeah. I think he just has thunder. And thunder is pretty devastating, so yeah, it's it's, it's okay. Is there anything else we want to talk about in the combat section? This is a really interesting... This I think this goes into combat um, because the runes... And if it doesn't, are, you will be penalized five points. Oh, I see. Well, that's okay. I, I can play without them. Um, but no, the runes themselves are actually woven into the battle system True. because yes. they, as you gain more runes, each of them has a different um, stat boost or straight-up healing that you can use completely free forever in the game until a plot thing happens where they're all ripped away from you and you're (laughs) set into an unreturnable point of the game that is ranked way higher in difficulty and then you have to figure it out until you can get them back again (laughs) yeah so even yeah even playing my patched version and i was noticing when i looked at a walkthrough that my patched version i was able to proceed at about half the recommended level yeah which is why i said it halves your stats earlier that's just my rough well if it says level 20 but i beat it at level 10 then i guess i'm half the stats or double the stats Mm -hmm. so um even then the end of the game required a lot of grinding the first half of the game did not you know i just kind of blew through it and it was great 
there was a lot of grinding near the end in the <laughs> patched version. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's there's hardly anything you can do about those enemies, even with good stats, because uh, they have instant death spells, they have just insane attacks, and they, they get to punch a lot. I liked the look of a lot of the characters, though, or a lot of the enemies. They mm-hmm. have a really... There, are, there were some that were, like, cloaked in shadows, and then they would open up and reveal themselves yeah. it was very effective the the graphics on some of the enemies was really good i super dig all of the art in this game it's one of my favorite things in it actually and yeah a lot of those enemies get straight up terrifying <laughs> yeah no some of those things were out of nightmares uh, the, the art is very good yeah yeah um but yeah i was just gonna point out about the runes with the combat and stuff um because that really again when you're playing the the hard super nintendo version that becomes second nature to you is you know relying on the runes but then you know again having them ripped <laughs> yep. out of your hands yeah. is is pure heartbreak <laughs> so i guess we'll go ahead and move on to innovations although we have covered a lot of them but yeah. there's there's more We talked about the six, uh, the six other heroes and how they can join you and betray you and all that. There is an unspoken mechanic in the game, which is alignment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There is not an alignment stat that is ever displayed. That at least not that I'm aware of. You don't look at your status no. and go, "Oh, he's evil. <laughs> oh, he's neutral." Yeah. But there is an alignment because certain characters are much more likely to team up with other certain characters or much less likely to betray other certain characters. And, and it's part, part of that judgment is made based on alignment. Yeah, and sometimes it's random too because your alignment with another character can be reset if you fight a few battles. Yeah, so <laughs> the, the, even the alignment isn't certain. To my knowledge, there is no combination of heroes that cannot adventure together. There are some that it's very almost I've, impossible to get them to team up. Yeah, I've heard that Lajess and Valsu is the hardest combination to get because one's a priest and one's a demon. Yeah, right. Yeah. It's understandable. But yeah, I, but it's not impossible to get them to team yeah, up. Yeah, that, that's what I was going to say. Some people used to say it was impossible, but I'm like, I'm almost sure I've done it before. Uh, everything I read <laughs> online says it can be done. It's just very difficult. Yeah. Um, you mentioned losing half your money when you lose a fight, which yep. is, I feel like that's fairly standard. I mean, Earthbound does it, Dragon Quest I mean, like did. Dragon Quest yeah. does it, yeah. But there's a way around it that's oh, yeah. built into the game because there are gems Jewelry. that you can, you can buy <laughs> gems in any store and gems always buy and sell for the same price. Exactly. Yeah. So it just becomes, you don't lose your gems when you lose a fight. So it becomes a way of like securing your money. Yeah, but... and the only downside is then you have to sell it before you can use currency again. Yes, and the other thing is that all items have a cap of nine. Yes, that is true too. So you have a an, a limit to the amount of money you can carry that's not just on hand. Yeah, but there are many different types of gems, all worth different values. So yeah, they're worth up to like ten thousand, I think. So yeah, you could eventually hit that limit, but you've got a lot of wiggle room there. Yeah, and plus if you're playing as Wilmy or Lux, there's almost no items you can buy. Yeah. So, you know, Wilmy, for sure, you just can't buy anything for him. Lux has a couple of exceptions. Yeah, near the end of the game, he can pick and up And near the beginning. Oh, you I can find in the beginning. You can find an armor upgrade for Lux on an unmarked square. Oh, in, I was fixing the, I was going to bring up the unmarked square. Yeah, it's an this. unmarked it's, square that you will never have any clue to find it, it's a brown coat, is what it's called, and it's an armor upgrade that you can equip on him within the first couple of towns, few towns in the game. Yeah, I did not know that. I didn't know oh, about the that. unmarked <laughs> squares when yeah. I first started playing it, and then saw something about it online, and I'm like, I need to go back. Yep, <laughs> I learned that on my latest playthrough with Lux. So, enemy encounters in this game are technically visible. Yes, yeah. technically. Because of your crystal ball. You don't yep. see them on the overworld, but when you're in an area with enemies, you are you have a crystal ball that shows up in the corner, and it shows you the position of all the enemies. The enemies are always in motion, even if you're not. Yes. And they are and always... They are swarming towards you. Yes, they are <laughs> always moving towards you. This is a game where you can just step right outside of town, stand still, and grind without walking mm-hmm. around. Oh, yeah. So I say technically visible because... It's, it's all, 
there You'll is, never see them on the map, yeah. No. Well, and it's also part of when I say visible encounters, part of that to me is the ability to dodge encounters when you need to. And in this game, like you can kind of dodge oh, them dodge if you're them. lucky for a certain yeah. amount of time. Eventually, you will get hit. Sure, but go watch a speed run. This game. <laughs> yeah. so and there's some expert good. dodgers yeah. out there. I was going to say skill can only get you so far, but I guess if you have enough skill. Yeah. Skill gets you pretty darn far. Pretty far. I wish that the game had context-sensitive buttons. Anytime you want to open a chest or talk to a person, you have to navigate the menu to pick the action you want to mm. perform on the thing you're looking at. Mm-mm-mm. It really, I was playing it going, I wish it had the earthbound L trigger. Did you, you're going to hate me. Did you know that I did not know until the year of our Lord 2022 <laughs> that you can hit L in Earthbound? Wow. Uh-huh. I feel like to talk to our people friendship is or a open lie. chest. Yeah, or Earthbound is meant to be played one-handed. I literally had no idea until it's, I just played it on the Switch. And they so, actually came out and said it's meant to be able to be played with one hand while eating pizza in the other. Yeah, I, uh-huh. I found that out. And uh, the Seventh Saga has L trigger for A and select for B. So um, Seventh Saga is another one-handed okay, game. Okay, I wish I had known that. Yep, did it's one of the only other either. ones, I think. Okay. Might well, be the only other one on Super Nintendo. 2022 has opened so many doors for me. Yeah. That's what I was going to put under my innovation is that Seventh Saga has one-handed gameplay. Um, I also, I always bring up when a game fails to do this, so I'm going to give it the points for doing this. It does a decent job of telling you when you're buying equipment if the equipment can't be used by somebody in your party or yes. if it will lower mm-hmm. the stats for somebody in your party. So you don't waste the money buying things you can't use or that suck. Yeah, you have to go through two different confirmations for an item. One is for them to tell you what it'll do for you, and the other is to say that it's more expensive than what you have to offer, and therefore, you know, they'll give you this much to make up the difference because you can't have. Well, no, you can have equipables in your in your inventory. Uh, it's just inventory not is so so rare. Yeah, yeah, because the game does something else that I think all JRPGs should do, which is when you're buying equipment for a character, it says, do you want to just sell me what they're currently wearing in that slot? And then you just pay the difference. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which Perfect. I think all games should yeah. do because they at least offer you the opportunity because of course I want the best gear on him and I don't need this stinky old robe anymore. <laughs> right. It's brown coat. I'm, I'm looking at my notes over here and uh, we have addressed... Up to this point, we have pretty much talked about all the innovations in other sections. Amazing. I, the Whether or not you can equip it is still a little cumbersome, but at least it existed. So mm-hmm. Yeah. I forgot one of the characters that I wanted to point out, though. Sure. And let's, call, let's put this under innovations. Uh, Dr. Fail. Dr. Fail. Dr. Fail gives you an airship and um, also built like a Tetijin. That, that's the name of robots, robots in this game. Yeah. Uh, to defend... So, okay, plot point, eventually you go to the past where Melanom, which is a ruin in the present world, is still a futuristic, like, robot-driven city, and Dr. Fail creates, like, this uh, giant tetigen to defend the town against the big bad guy, and, of course, the big robot turns bad, and you have to fight it. And, uh, well, they power it with the power of darkness so it can overcome the power of darkness. That old chestnut, exactly. I just love <laughs> that all of this is broadcast right at the beginning by naming the doctor, in all caps, by the way, <laughs> Dr. Dr. Fail. <laughs> so anyway, that's, the, that's an innovation, I think. Unexpected time travel, well, by the way, is almost say, becoming a trope Well, now. it is, but yeah. I was going to say, when I first played this, I thought the game was over. It kind of had a Dragon yeah, Warrior it, 3 it thing to, for yeah. me where it's like you think you're done and then all of this other mess of crap happens yeah so (laughs) we don't often talk about like the last half of the plot to a game but we can there's not a rule against it so the whole you must rule the world thing felt really weird to me as a motivation for your characters it turns then there's the plot twist where it turns out your teacher is actually like the spirit of the great evil that almost ruled the world before. So he was tricking you to gather Mm -hmm. them so that he could rule the world. And all of a sudden, it makes, oh, now I get why my goal was to rule the world. I was working for evil. Yeah, yeah. And you know what? That's not even giving away all the twists. So (laughs) 
that's that's just one twist of a, of a very twisty turny unexpected thing. time travel is start is happening mm-hmm. i'm wondering if we should start keeping track of it it's happened in a lot of games i mean even final fantasy one has it yes i have pissarro in here <laughs> it is python 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 Apparently, I was typing it from memory and called him Pissarro. Oh. You were you combined Sorrow the Manslayer. I'm not and great Pison. at names. Well, they put a P in front of Sorrow for the uh, DS version. Yeah, the that's the, yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, do we have any other innovations? I mean, I could talk all day. Let's just move on. <laughs> well, let's move on to where you talk all day. Oh, okay. The music section. Oh boy, so the music of Seventh Saga is one of my favorites. Um, so I'm going to get this out of the way right quick. The music was all composed by Norihiko Yamanuki, who you may recognize from nothing, because this is his only credited music composition soundtrack. There is a second game where he's credited for sound design. It is a, Jap- a Japanese-only super graphics game based on an anime that we don't even know if he made the music for it. So, as far as we know... Uh, and Did then, he make the soundtrack and then get pulled 5,000 years into the past? Exactly. Just uh, never could do anything else. Apparently, he created a company called Jewel of Japan that promotes Japanese culture, subculture overseas, specializing in music production. That's, that's what it says on the notes. But for music, <laughs> video game music purposes, this is a one-and-done, and it's too bad because this is a fantastic soundtrack. So as opposed to what else you would hear on the Super Nintendo from JRPGs in the day, it's not this bombastic prog rock like masterpiece or anything. Mostly it's these mellow, chill, like e-piano and flute arrangements with no backbeat. Um, um, excuse me, the robot walking clearly well, makes yeah. a backbeat. <laughs> clong, clong, you clong, can't clong. lose it. Yeah. For, for the most part, by the way, this is... But yeah, it's, um, it's these really chill little like songs some of them are just these kind of mellow things uh the um but a couple of the towns kind of have this like a little bit of a ren fair flair to them but not like fully uh what would you call it um pastiche like they're they're actually like really well done um like it's mostly just like i said really chill electronic like e piano type music and then when you get into a battle, like it (laughs) blats this, these horns at you and then does this chromatic trill while the camera is panning down Mm -hmm. to like rotate into the battle. And that is so perfect hearing what you're seeing. And then the battle music itself is just like really driving and really exciting. And in the case of like boss music, because of how difficult this game is in the U S release, it really underscores the fact that these, enemies look sound and are terrifying Mm -hmm. um it's it's so perfectly like you know music to accompany like the the unusual structure and like uh and just cruelty of like a game (laughs) like this and the other kind of cool thing is when you're listening to the soundtrack they actually named most of the songs after characters even though they're not character themes so like the first overworld theme is named uh after lux and it does have like this electronic sound to it, which is kind of really cool. But it's not nothing to do with the robot. Mm-hmm. It's just that's the first world theme. By the way, this game has I think four overworld map themes that it plays throughout, and several battle themes. Like it, the soundtrack changes as like the kind of world the and the experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and that's like really really cool. Um, and it has several town themes, and it kind of fits them to the different kind of towns you'll see. So something a little bit more of a pastoral village will have the Olven JS theme, which is that's the, the dwarf's name or Jace or Jace. I don't know how to pronounce his name. It's, it's made up. So <laughs> <laughs> it, it doesn't have a, a, a real world counterpart, but anyways, you know, it's just this lovely little flute song that it plays in quieter towns, but like a louder town may have like the, the jingle a little bit more, a little more jingle jangle. And uh, yeah, this is just a... That's the drug in Riverdale? 
Oh, is it? <laughs> yes. I didn't know. Are you serious? Yes. Jingle Jangle? That's the name of the hardcore drug in Riverdale. That is silly. I watched a couple seasons, and then I couldn't anymore. Anyway, now I I'm, just think we should do a Riverdale podcast. <laughs> Apparently, it just gets more and more crazy from where I dropped out, because wow. the season I dropped out was a killer D&D game spreading through the town. Anyway, I'm Incredible. sorry. No, that's okay. Uh, just, just Jingle Jangle is a deadly hardcore drug, and people right. need to be careful. As far as, like, this game goes, like, I just love how it goes from quiet to loud, depending on what happens, especially when it wants to give you a victory theme. Because the victory theme is one of the most brash things <laughs> I've ever heard. I really recommend listening to it. Uh, and then, like, there's this one scene where uh, a guy's, like, basically digging a hole uh, to basically bring water back to a town. And it plays this little... This little yata da da like victory theme, like while he's doing it, and it's so goofy. And I just love that this game can be like so, like the soundtrack is so beautiful and intense, and then like just downright goofy. And there's only about 30 songs in the soundtrack for the entire game, but there, but each one is like super important. So yeah, this is one of my top Super Nintendo RPG soundtracks for that reason. And I really wish that that composer had stuck around and done more things. But he had to save the world in the past. Yeah. And, you know, it's okay, too, because, like, Mystic Arc, which is the unofficial sequel of this game, had Akihiko Mori, who is also one of my favorite composers, and he did an even better job with that. So (laughs) Nice. It all worked out in the end. So let's go ahead and move on to our final thoughts. I enjoyed this game a whole lot. Um, this is, yeah, I, it, it's really good. It's really different. I liked how the monsters were eldritch horrors <laughs> and I liked the different characters. And, uh, this is definitely, this is definitely a good, a good game. I, I'll say this is an A game. I usually don't give grade ratings anymore. Um, but I thoroughly, thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed this one. So yeah, this is one of my favorites, as I've mentioned. Um, I truly love it. But I will say that I am very biased for this game, and I do acknowledge that it has next to no narrative story. Um, it's kind of something you piece together yourself while you're sort of going through it. Um, I would have really liked to get to know the characters more because they're so different, and they, they seem like they would have so much to say. But you only get to like really talk to them if you randomly find them in a town, and then they only have like these three or four sentences that they'll say to you if they're not going to attack you or join you. So I do wish there was more story. Also, of course, uh, there's a difference in difficulty between Elnard and the Seventh Saga and, like, the Seventh Saga patched. Uh, so at least there's something for every play style. But, yeah, even with this game's ratcheted up super high difficulty, I beat it twice happily and will do so in the future as well. So, yeah, this is an A-plus for me, although I would say if I was actually criticizing it, I'd probably put it like at a B-plus or something just for lack of narrative story. I feel like when a game tries a lot of new stuff, it's either going to be really good or really bad. This game tries a lot of new stuff, and most of it works, which is very different from Romancing Saga, which we did not that long ago. Not too long ago. The idea of having multiple story paths for different characters, the encountering the other heroes, all of... It adds a level of replayability that most JRPGs do not have. Because while you're not getting a completely different experience by picking different characters, there are differences. Yeah. uh, Mm -hmm. And that usually a JRPG, the only differences you might get is choosing which party members to fight with. But the story's not going to change. So it gets gets a lot of credit for that. Um, having, Having them match you, but not having the rest of the monsters in the world match you kind of tells you a story all of its own. The mechanics mm-hmm. tell part of a story in this. Yeah. I, I'm i giving the game a, a B, and my biggest problem with the game is the difficulty curve isn't quite balanced. Uh, even the version I played, all of a sudden you hit a wall and it's like grind for your life yeah. now. The difficulty of this game is going to turn a lot of people off, especially if they play it on this, the version that was released on Super yeah. Nintendo in America. Yeah, that's why I opened this by saying, look, this is the version I played. This is the version I'm talking about. I had a very enjoyable experience playing it. I do not like a grind fest. And it's weird that the game became a grind fest near the end instead of <laughs> near the beginning or throughout. It, yeah, that's totally different from a U.S. experience. You'd be grinding within the first, like, 
two hours. Before the first Pison, you have to be like level nine or ten. So that's why <laughs> I'm giving it a B. Because uh, B to me is a good solid experience, but it's it's not making any top ten list of mine. Uh, I do think if the SNES version had come across had come out like the patched version I played, maybe this series well maybe there would be a series maybe this game would be better remembered (laughs) maybe there would have been sequels and i think that would have been a good thing because they tried a lot of new stuff and that should always you know e e for effort yeah you know thank you for trying something russ if they want to play seventh saga or sagas one through six (laughs) (laughs) you can play it on super nintendo that's it end of sentence yeah so plugs I'm going to go ahead and plug, uh, and I might have done this one before. It's a company called Bitmap Books. They do books about video games. They do, they have several different series of books. One is by console, uh, and another is by genre. The genre, Both are very good. The genre books are amazing. So far, they have CRPGs, which are computer RPGs, mostly Western style. You, again, you're thinking Baldur's Gate. Uh, Torment, Tides of Numenera. The JRPG book is fascinating and fun to read. They just came out with, and I bought for Russ as a present, and it's arriving Wednesday. He's leaving Sunday. Um, A new book called Go Straight, which is the history of side-scrolling beat-em-ups. And just a perfect title. Yes. (laughs) So, Russ, I'm telling you to go straight, but not as a hate crime. I love my side-scrolling beat-em-ups. I like that they're called belt action in, mm. in Japan. I didn't even know that. That's very cool. Yeah, because it moves on. It moves like a belt. That's very true. So yeah. what they do with these books is uh, often the game reviews are written either by uh, people who were associated with the game and development, or by fans of the game who volunteer to come in and write a chapter. So generally, the reviews are pretty positive. They even positively reviewed Arcana. I reached out to them about that and told them they <laughs> needed to retract it. For the record, I like, I like Arcana a lot. You can shut up. They I like also, fighting with rooks. They also interview... De- what about axes? <laughs> they also interview developers uh, and have sections on uh, companies. So you get a lot of history behind the genre or the console and the games, as well as talking about the individual games and beautiful artwork. So bitmapbooks.co.uk... Go check it out. Russ? Nice. Did you want to plug something? I mean, I do this podcast and I work and I eat a lot. So Do you watch TV? Do you no. read? You know what I'll address? This is kind of random. Uh, I do play the only like fun, cooperative, like online game I play is Dead by Daylight. And the new chapter... This is just my grievance hour, is kind of what this is going to be. Go ahead. The new chapter in Dead by Daylight is based on the Ring movie. Okay. Like the, jet, like the original Japanese sure. Ring movie. The new Survivor, I thought it was going to be the woman. Because I love the Ring movie. Like that original Japanese Ring movie. And I thought the new Survivor was going to be the woman, the journalist, Reiko. And then they made it her kid. But an adult version of her kid odd who's not even a character in like the japanese ring movies i mean he is but he's like seven but like him as an adult is not a thing in any of the movies so i always get the new survivor and i'm just always real excited about it and whatever but i'm like what what what's happening and they also put a big yellow raincoat on him which I don't like because, I mean, the point of the game, if you play as a survivor, is you're supposed to hide from the killer. And he's wearing this big yellow yellow raincoat. Um, So that's my... (laughs) I talked about Wordle a couple of episodes ago, (laughs) and now my grievance for today is... So it's Dead by Daylight, but not the ring expansion. Well, I mean, I think the ring expansion is going to be good. I think the killer is going to be good, but I don't really play as killer, and the survivor just doesn't really have me very excited. So by the time you're hearing this, it's already out. And maybe now I love him. I don't know. Um, but I'm always excited when they do like the Halloween chapter and it's Laurie Strode, but this like, isn't a character that I can really get excited <laughs> about. So Russ's grievance minute. I am here for Russ's for, grievance minute. For today is about Dead by Daylight. Chris, did you have something you wanted to plug? Not something current. I just want to give a shout out to produce, uh, <laughs> yeah, the developer behind the seventh saga. Uh, if you're a, like 
JRPG, Super Nintendo fan in general, just make sure, like, if you're checking out Seventh Saga, to also check out Brain Lord, which is, like, this kind of top-down action game also made by Produce. It's, like, Zelda-like and Illusion of Gaia-like, but it also has these brain teaser puzzles, including some that are just completely ridiculous. Um, and it, it has that same graphic style and, like, some really good music as well that's actually kind of funky. And uh, also check out Mystic Arc, which is uh, only available in Japan. So it's it's been fan translated though, and really really well. Um, I need you, to play it. I have it, and I have I, played five minutes of it, but I really need to get it. I, I totally we should beat create it. a podcast where we play those types of yeah, games we, and talk about them. <laughs> I just don't could, think it's on our list. And then we could play it for work. I've got a uh, yeah, I've got a, a, a Super Nintendo EverDrive coming, so I can actually play on super nintendo like all these fan translations and stuff i've got a pretty good amount of them i've beaten including like i said mystic arc it has a really fantastic soundtrack it's like it's really it's both it's a lot more uh weird and eclectic than seventh saga because you're going through different like statues of towns and things like that and they're just like set up like these really weird scenarios such as like the very first one you are um sort of in the middle of a war between two rival pirate gangs. Uh, but the pirate gangs, the ocean that they were in dried up, so they're actually in the desert, but still waging war <laughs> with each other. Also, they're oh, all house. Also, they're all house cats. I'm all in. <laughs> yeah, I'm in. I'm getting this. Cats. Yeah, they're, they're house cats. Yeah, the pink ones are the blood hook gang, and the gray ones are the gun boss gang. <laughs> Ross, why are we not playing I this know, game this now? This should have been our first game. Yeah, exactly. We're going to have to f- work this into the schedule. Yeah. The soundtrack is by the legendary Akihiko Mori, who is one of my favorites, even though, very sadly, he passed away at the age of 29 back in the 90s uh-huh. and only lived until about the PlayStation era. But this is one of his best soundtracks, and I really recommend people check it out. So well, yeah, Produce go. is a great company, and, and I really think more people should check out their games. All right. Produce! Produce! <laughs> So that's it. Join us next time when we talk about Sword of Hope for the Game Boy. Sure. We'll see you guys there. (laughs) Bye. RNG is a presentation of Mad Centaur Productions. You can find Jeff on YouTube at youtube.com slash centaurproductions or on Twitter at Jeff Centaur. You can find Russ on Twitter at RussMac25. You can find Chris on Twitch at twitch.tv slash liarexaggerate or on Twitter at enrichflavor. Thank you for listening and remember to save your game before powering off this podcast.